minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Thursday. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. Dreary night. The 
And with tears they pray to heaven for their precious little gem. May the Tyro always be the sweet, the heart never But as the boy grows older and Kamara leads his day, that passion for his Tyra learning slowly fades away. For he struggles with each sugya, and he tires from despair. If Kamara is so challenging, doesn't even pay to care. Make it sweet for us again, like the honey that we tasted years before. Because each word is ours to own, until we feel it in our bones, and we want to keep on learning. Each one. 
the power that we share As words of fire fill the air Can you imagine that we'd ever come this far? And the nachas that we'll see Might have never come to be If we didn't know how capable we
J.M. in the A.M. Good morning, everybody. It's a Thursday morning broadcast, and that's uh, David Lowy with Tamim Sheyetov here on a J.M. in the A.M. Thursday. Before that, Baruch Levine and Simcha Lina together with Vaharevna. Nerdal Lake with Shlomo Simcha Kapara done by Avram Freed. Benji was a soldier. I remember that as the name of the CD. We had a lot of fun with that CD yesterday when Ding was visiting us here at J.M. in the A.M., reliving some great memories. And a regesh with Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. It's Thursday on the September the 15th, day 12 in the month of Elul. It's uh, 64 degrees outside with 60% humidity. Winds are north at 13 miles an hour. Partly cloudy with a high of 75. Then tonight, mostly clear, low 61. And tomorrow, sunshine, a high of 75 degrees. That's right. The highest we're getting to is 75. 83 in Yerushalayim. We're at 64 here in Jersey City. As we say good morning. At JM in the AM. Plenty coming up between now and 9 AM. And of course, all day long on our stream at jmtheam.org with amazing programming all through the day. The NSN app is active. Uh, you can listen on the app. You can comment on the app. Trucker Yitz already has commented that he's in the Catskills where it's 44 degrees this morning. My gosh. Uh, listener from Rockville, Maryland checked in about how much they enjoyed the JM Rewind program on Tuesday. I appreciate that very much. They were listening in the archives. So you can comment on anything you wish. Just go to the NSN app and uh, comment on the home screen. You'll see exactly how to do it. Plenty coming up. It's Thursday. You're listening to JM in the AM as we continue with uh, this selection from Ari Goldwag. Three times a day, we'll turn this way. 
Love 
The words from Ladavad Hashem Ori that we say in the month of Elul, that's diaspora. Mordechai Shapiro's Lo Alecha, you heard Libuv Sari done by Shlomo Katz, Yehuda Green, and the land of your soul. Omek Hadavar in there with Makar Chaim, and you heard Chaim David with the Shofar in this month of Elul. Thursday morning in America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program, heard and listened to sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmnam.org, and of course on the NSN app. And I welcome those who are commenting on our app and taking advantage of that great service. 
Galitzal in the background with our news from Israel coming up. Galitzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Thursday follows next. We say Boker Toe from JM and the AM. המשטרה עצרה את הנהג המעורב בתאונה הקטלנית הבוקר בבאר שבע בחשד להריגה. כתבנו רמי שני. הצעיר שנפצע בתאונה הקטלנית חשוד בשורת עבירות בהן הריגה, סיכון חיי אדם בנתיב תחבורה וגם שימוש ברכב ללא רשות, התפרצות וגנבת כלי רכב. כל אלו נצברו לחובתו במהלך הלילה לפני התאונה. היום תבקש המשטרה להאריך את מעצרו בבית משפט השלום בבאר שבע. שלב העדויות במשפטו של אלאור עזריה. בשעה זו מעיד פרופסור יהודה היס, ראש המכון הפתולוגי לשעבר. מבית הדין הצבאי מדווח כתבנו אריאל זיגלר. עדותו של היס החלה בהגשת חוות הדעת שנכתבה על ידו לשופטים. בחוות הדעת ניתן כי מנתיחת גופת המחבל עולה כי מותו לא נגרע מהירי של עזריה וכי הוא כבר היה מת כשנורה על ידיו. החלטה של בית המשפט לקבל את חוות דעתו של פרופסור ריס עשויה לשנות את סעיף האישום נגד עזריה, סעיף ההריגה. בשעות הקרובות יפעל התובע וייסמן בחקירה הנגדית של ריס, שכבר החלה בדקות האחרונות, על מנת למנוע תרחיש כזה. ההשקעה הציבורית בכל תלמיד בישראל היא מהנמוכות מבין המדינות המפותחות. כך עולה מדוח החינוך של ה-OECD המתפרסם כעת. מדווח כתבנו מיכאל האוזר טוב. ההשקעה הציבורית בישראל פר תלמיד עמדה בממוצע בשנת 2013 על 7,840 דולרים, לעומת ממוצע ה-OECD, 10,493 דולרים, ומשתווה להוצאה הממוצעת במדינות כמו צ'כיה ואסטוניה. כמו כן, גם ההוצאה הפרטית בישראל גבוהה מהממוצע. עוד עולה מהדוח כי הכיתות בישראל הן הצפופות מבין המדינות המפותחות, עם 27 תלמידים בממוצע בכל כיתה. רוסיה מאשימה את ארצות הברית כי היא לא מיישמת את חלקה בהסכם הפסקת האש בסוריה. כתבתנו שירה נאות. ארצות הברית משתמשת במסך עשן כדי להסתיר את חוסר רצונה למלא אחר הסכם הפסקת האש, כך אמרו במשרד ההגנה במוסקבה. ארצות הברית אמורה להפריד בין כוחות המורדים לארגוני הטרור, ועל פי רוסיה נכשלת בלעשות כן. ברוסיה טוענים שכעת הפסקת האש נשמרת על ידי כוחות משטר אסד בלבד. כתב אישום הוגש נגד צעיר בן 23 מכפר יאסיף שירה למוות באימו על רקע מה שמכונה חילול כבוד המשפחה. כתבנו קובי מנדל. הרצח שתוכנן בקפידה רבה אירע בסוף חודש יולי בבית דודתו של הנאשם מכפר בענה בעת שימו הייתה במקום. הנאשם ירה בה למוות מטווח קצר באמצעות אקדח וזאת על רקע חשדו כי אימו מנהלת קשר רומנטי מחוץ לנישואין. הפרקליטות ביקשה היום מבית המשפט המחוזי בחיפה להאריך עד לתום ההליכים את מעצרו. תחזית מזג האוויר מעונן חלקית עד נאה ללא שינוי ניכר בטמפרטורות. ולסיום, יועצת הפאנג שווי של המועמד הרפובליקני דונלד טראמפ מספרת בשיחה עם גלית אלטשטיין על האנרגיות ששאב טראמפ בעקבות הארגון מחדש של המגדלים שבבעלותו. היועצת פון יין אומרת, לפני עשרים שנה אמרתי לו להזיז את כניסת הבניין לכיוון הסנטרל פארק וזה מה שהביא לנסיקה בקריירה שלו. כבר אז חזינו שיהיה לו כוח אדיר. רבים באים אליי היום ואומרים לי, את יצרת את דונלד טראמפ.
אלה החדשות שעורכת רון לב יוד.
Peace. 
Amazing selection from Ohad that's called Madua. Before that, Malani from uh, Benny Freeman. You heard Eitan Freilach, Mariv Aravim is the name of that selection. David Gabe's Matovu and Ari Boyanju with Ma Gudlu opening up the 7 o'clock hour Thursday morning broadcast. It's a JM in the AM broadcast. And a reminder that tomorrow, our weekly update, Malcolm Honline will join us and we'll go through the events of the week and speak about the news items affecting Israel and the Jewish world from the past week. Make sure to join us 7.40 Eastern Time tomorrow morning, of course, on the radio and on the NSN app. Uh, the app gives you the chance to listen from around the world, from anywhere, and hear everything as clearly as possible. So make sure to tune into the NSN app tomorrow morning, 7.40 Eastern Time. The weekly update will commence here at JM in the AM. Rabbi David Goldwasser's words, Here is Rabbi David Goldwasser with Morning Chizuk. Good morning. The Rambam says in Hilchus Tshuva, Gedola tshuva, greatest tshuva, shemekareves esa'adam l'shchina, that it brings a person close to the Divine Presence. It says that yesterday the individual could have been disgusting, distanced from Hashem, an abomination, v'hayom, but today the person is ohu v'nechmod korovi'edid, beloved and cherished, close and dear. A well-known chassid in a tzaddik of the Biyana Chassidim in Yerushalayim was Rav Nachum Yasser. He had merited that all of his children but one remained true to Torah life and were not influenced by the corrupt environment where they grew up. One son, though abandoned the Derech Torah, the ways of Torah and left home, Rav Nachum never mentioned that son's name and never spoke of his personal anguish in Tsar. Once, there was a group of Kolo fellows that were sitting together with Rav Nachum. They were learning this Rambam. One of the men asked, How was it possible for a person to be transformed from a detached and abominable individual steeped in sin to an endeared and treasured human being. Upon hearing this, Reb Nachum could no longer contain himself. All the many years of pent-up emotions exploded. He fiercely exclaimed, If I would merit that my son would come knocking on the door of my home and he would cry, Tata, I am here. I want to return to you. My love for him would be incredible. I wouldn't think for one moment of all the grief and heartbreak that I suffered for so many years because of him. I would be totally elated that my son has come home to his roots and returned to the ways of Hashem. Similarly explained Rav Nachum, Hashem is overjoyed and jubilant when his children do tshuva. It makes no difference how far the person is strayed. When the errant son returns home, he inspires a very powerful love. The Tana Develio says that Shomai Va'aretz, heaven and earth give testimony that more than a father waits for his son and more than a wife waits for her husband, Hashem sits and waits for Klau Yisroel to do tshuva. This has been Rabbi David Goldwasser bringing you morning chizik. Have a nice day.
Our show for Blowing in the Month of Elul here at JM in the AM, 7.32 in the morning. Roger Horowitz is with us live via telephone. The name of the book, Roger Horowitz, I should say, is a uh, food historian and director of the Center for the History of Business, Technology, and Society at the Hagley Museum and Library, author of many books. The book is called Kosher USA, How Coke Became Kosher and Other Tales of Modern Food. Roger Horowitz, welcome to JM in the AM. Well, thank you for having me here in the morning. I appreciate it. A pleasure. Uh, Why is Coca-Cola always cited has one of the key stories, one of the key episodes when discussing the topic of kosher in America. Well, first reason is that it's the first uh, big product to become kosher. It's the first time that a major food manufacturer changes ingredients to accommodate kosher requirements. And so that's 1935. That's a huge event in the development of kosher food. The other reason is the rabbi involved in doing that, Rabbi Tobias Geffen, makes rulings that become incorporated in the kosher law as other rabbis end up looking at kosher products. So it's significant for the first, but also for the kind of approach that he took that really defined the way rabbis now understand how to make products kosher. So there are precedents involved in what he did that... uh... Absolutely. Absolutely, very important precedent. And you mentioned, and you mentioned the change of a recipe. It, do you have, as a historian, and I don't mean to question your your assertion, but the, or your assertion rather, but do you have a uh, do you have definitive information that in fact Coca Cola had to change or did change their secret recipe to accommodate the kosher community? Well, they did change the recipe, but they didn't change the secret ingredient. That you know that remained the same. Ah, I but got absolutely. you. Yeah, but so yeah, it's still Coca-Cola. But they, oh yeah, they changed what was in there. Uh, they changed the source of the ingredients. That was the main. That was the main issue. Uh, Coke was using glycerin, and the glycerin, Rabbi Geffen discovers, comes from essentially animal fats, which include non-kosher animals. Um, and he says you can't do this. You can't have an ingredient which is sourced from a non-kosher source. Uh-uh, it's not kosher. Uh, and then he says, and even though it's there in tiny quantities, it can't be bituminous. It can't be nullified because it's essential to the creation of Coke. Mm. And so Coke says, okay, we'll find glycerin from someplace else. And they get it from uh, cottonseed oil uh, through Procter Gamble's story there. But they change it. They change the, the, the composition of it. Uh, and over time, you know, this is sort of amazing. Glycerin, which is, you know, it's hidden chemicals, it changes throughout the American uh, you know, food industry, that now it's very hard to get meat-based glycerin. If you want to sell your glycerin these days, manufacturer, it's going to be kosher glycerin. So, yeah, right. they do change the formula, absolutely. And and from their angle, I mean, we're talking about the 1930s, you know, the, the Jewish population, nothing compared to what we're used to today. Why would they think it was worth the effort at that time to make this change to accommodate a niche market? Well, Food manufacturers, even if it's a small market, they want to sell to everybody. They don't want to have somebody else have a competitive edge. They didn't want to have a kosher cola come in to take off that market. Because, that, you know, in New York City, a lot of observant Jews, they didn't want to have that happen to them. So Coke just wanted to shut the door on any sort of possibility of an erosion of its dominance. And I guess, that's why, I guess that's why they're Coca-Cola, right? I mean, that's... Yeah. That, that's yes. the, that's the way they do things, and uh, that's right. That's right. Well, you know, other people do this. I mean, I mean, not so long ago, when Coors Beer decided to move to the New York market from you know, Colorado, you know those ads they have, right. you know, sure. Western sounding guys. They wanted to go to the New York area, and they made it kosher. 
because they didn't want to have any obstacles to the expansion of their product. It's just one of these business decisions. And the, and the round buys then and now, they're very good at saying, well, you can do this, and it's not going to cost you anymore. You're able to do this. It's not going to affect your product. And if you do that, you're going to open the door to some new markets. And on the consumer angle, especially for those who would, you know, frankly, in the kosher market would drink any beer, they're more comfortable possibly, and it looks like, you know, the evidence is there, you know, drinking one that actually has a hashkacha. Well, you know, I mean, if you're going to go for a light beer, I'm to be honest, what's different? You know, I mean, you know, light beer. So you want to go for a hashkacha. You know, why not? Go right. for that one. It's going, to be, it's going to be safer, you know. Do that. So it also allowed Coors to, to market their beer through Jewish circles. Hey, we're kosher. So it becomes a marketing opportunity for these companies to say they're kosher. Roger Horowitz is with us. The book is called Kosher USA: How Coke Became Kosher and Other Tales of Modern Food. In one of your, um, in one of the uh, the pre-release um, uh, publicity uh, pieces, they spoke about the uh, the fact that Hydrox was kosher, Oreos were not, or at least did not have a hashgacha. Uh, how do you explain that? What did you find in your research that would explain why that was the case? Well, I mean, um, Oreos for a long time, like a lot of baked goods, used lard. Mm. That was just the way they did things. Um, and what happens with, you know, so, so this Hydrox is sort of what the scenario that uh, Coca-Cola wanted to avoid, where you can get an analog product that's kosher that grabs a piece of the market. Um, what happens with Oreos is, is really fascinating. Uh, the problem they face is the institutional market. I mean, they're selling as Oreos, okay? They're, they got they got a huge market just, you know, without being kosher. But they couldn't sell Oreo-based cookies and cream ice cream to a lot of food distributors. There's the food distributors, you know, it's a Dexo, Aramar, they're selling to lots of people. And they want one cookies and cream ice cream, not multiple ones. And they couldn't have ones with Oreos because it wasn't kosher. They want to have a kosher cookies and cream ice cream. So what happens with Oreos is inside Oreos, the folks who are selling to institutions say, look, you're creating a sales problem for us. And it's a big sales problem because like, we can't get it to Sedex, so we can't get it to Aramark. They're not carrying our products. We need it to be kosher so we can be in with the major food service providers. So that's what provides the push. And then you're talking about big bucks to get it with these, with these uh, institutional suppliers. Unbelievable. Um, what does it say about... Our community, very active consumers, um, uh, more influence than we think, or, you know, we, ma- we make a tremendous amount of, uh, of um, we're very active when it comes to making our voices known for how badly we want certain foods to become kosher. What does it say about our community that all these changes are made to accommodate it? Well, it says that, that you know, Jewish consumers are discerning consumers. I mean, they, you know, they, they, they want to have kosher products, and uh, they do make it known, and if you want to sell do them as a community. That's that's what you do. Um, but it's also that the power is greater than the numbers would would indicate. Right. Look, we are a small minority. Right. Really that's a the small point. minority. Right. You know, that's that's the way it is to be Jewish. But what happens in these big food operations is like the Oreo story. You want to make one product. You don't want to make two. So once you start trying to have kosher products, then all sorts of things start turning kosher. All sorts of ingredients are kosher. Right. And there's all sorts of stuff in food. But if, if, for example, you're a young startup and you want to create a color, a food color, and you want to sell it to manufacturers because it's better than other ones, you make it kosher because the big food manufacturers won't buy it unless it's kosher. They don't want to have the trouble of kosher and non-kosher. So all this goes back up the food chain. So people say now that ingredients, the stuff that goes into food, 70, 80% is kosher because <laughs> if you want to sell it, 
you want to make it kosher because it just opens doors. <laughs> and that goes right down the line there. So then if you're a company that's making a product and you want to turn it kosher, you do have these options. Right. And the OU works very hard to present them. Kosher USA is the name of the book. Roger Horowitz is with us. Uh, so we discussed some of the stories that tell us about manufacturers and the food companies wanting to infiltrate, quote-unquote, the, the Jewish and or kosher market. Uh, then, then you have a case of the opposite, uh, where you see Manischewitz in the early uh, part of the 20th century uh, trying to take their products into the mainstream market and doing so with a major advertising campaign. What did you learn about what uh, you know, today is so often referred to as Mano, Mano, Mano Manischewitz? <laughs> Well, it's a, it's a it's a wonderful story because uh, you know it's sort of Manischewitz wine, and Manischewitz wine is the first crossover product. In the 1950s, 80 percent of its consumers are not Jewish; they're African Americans. And what happens is Manischewitz becomes an enormously popular beverage among African Americans in the 50s and in, in the 1960s. Uh, it, it's, a, it's sort of it's a predecessor to what's happened with Bartonero Moscato, where that also has become popular among African Americans, not to the same same degree. And Manischewitz, you know, they're advertising on the radio, on television, in the newspapers. Buzz Aldrin, when he lands on the moon, he steps on the moon, and he goes, Man on Manischewitz, at the view of the earth. That's, that's how popular their slogan is. So uh, it's a huge crossover product, and of course it's a huge help for the Manischewitz food company because they put these ads in and it connects them to that area. So it's, a, it's, a, it's one of these breakthrough breakthrough products that kosher, kosher food has. It's unbelievable. And the ad campaign is so, for those who are not familiar, and I, even I was too young or wasn't even around but you know, at the time that it started, uh, you don't realize how much the campaign really infiltrated American society. Well, if you want to have some fun, go on YouTube and um, enter Sammy Davis Jr. Manischewitz. And it'll take you to a television ad that Sammy Davis Jr. did for Manischewitz in the late 1960s. Hmm. You know that, that's that's uh, you know that's really a wonderful story. I mean that you know that company is is still around and is still you know pushing its wares and doing a very good job. I and mean, I I was invited up to their offices um, plant a couple of weeks ago and had a chance um, to look through it. And you know they're they're generating new products. They're figuring out ways to use the kosher certification they have and the systems they have set up. Just other kinds of certifications to have organic, GMO-free, uh, and you know, what's interesting here is that the kosher requirements can be translated over to these other kinds of certifications that other kinds of consumers, not Jewish consumers, care about. Now, this is a world where consumers want to know, and kosher, the way you make things kosher, the way you monitor to make things kosher, can be used for other purposes, and other people copy the kosher method. There's a there's you know, the organic certification, non-GMO certification, wild caught, all that kind of stuff. These are third-party certifiers, like if you will, the OU, that say, okay, it meets our requirements. So, in terms of being influential, you know, culture leads the way for other parts of the population as to how to control their foods, and it gives an opportunity for kosher food companies like Manischewitz to reach out beyond the Jewish market and say, well, look, we're GMO. They're sardines, for example, are wild caught, and that's a, that's a big thing. So very interesting dynamic in the food industry today with the kosher food. And finally, we got to talk about kosher meat for a moment. Uh, at, at what point did it, be, did it go in the history of, of kosher in the United States? Did it go from you know, almost impossible to obtain kosher meat to a point where it became readily available to the consumers? Well, you know, beginning of the 20th century, kosher meat was available. You know, you had the slaughterhouses where the cities where the Jews lived. You know, and you know that 
goes through a long decline and to the bottom, I would say, is probably the 19, early 1980s when the food companies just stopped doing kosher food. They just, they just, they just kosher meat. They just, the big meat companies just aren't interested in doing it. Uh, and then you kind of have a recovery. That's when agri-processors get involved. And, of course, there's a lot about agri-processors. But it needs to be said that 1987, when they start, there's a shortage. And they go in, Alley Processing goes in, International Glot, other companies come in to try to generate these kind of kosher food products. You know, and then you have a new opportunity to distribute these things. Now there's all these supermarkets where you can buy kosher chicken. You can buy kosher organic chicken, kosher organic free-range chicken, again, <laughs> multiplying certifications. You know. And, you know, it's a great thing. I mean, to me, that kind of availability is about American democracy, being able to go into your stores, you want food a certain way that meets your religious requirements, and you can get it. You know, it's not such a small thing to be able to go to a baseball game and get something which you can sit down and drink and enjoy watching. It's not a small thing. You've got a kid with you, you want a child to enjoy fully American society. So to me, this is about democracy, having this kind of development of the availability of kosher food. Very interesting. Roger Horowitz is the author of the book Kosher USA, How Coke Became Kosher and Other Tales of Modern Food. Good luck with this book. Oh, by the way, how do people obtain the book? Well, you can buy on Amazon. There you That's go. go. Oh, Amazon Kosher USA, bingo, you go right there. And, and, and to my to my pleasure, they're selling it for a discount. So you actually can, you know, get it for, for I guess, selling well enough that they're willing to drop it down 25% of the price. It's a Columbia University Press release, and it's called Kosher USA by Roger Horowitz. Roger, thank you so much. Great speaking to you about this. Okay, thank you very much. I enjoyed it totally. Thursday morning broadcast. More coming up if you keep it right here at JM in the AM.
Shiraz Hayam Medley, David Dax, wrapping up hour number two for us on a Thursday here at JM in the AM. Partly cloudy, high 75. We're at 64 degrees right now. I remind you that the weekly update is tomorrow. Malcolm Holmline will join us 7.40 Eastern Time tomorrow morning. Make sure to be tuned in and uh, listen in as we uh, explore the events of the week, especially as it relates as they relate to Israel and the Jewish world. That's tomorrow morning for the weekly update. Malcolm Holmline with us 7.40 tomorrow morning here at JM in the AM. Coming up at 9 o'clock this morning, just one hour from now, we kick off and continue our amazing schedule online at jmnam.org and on the NSN app. Charlie Harari on the topic of unlocking greatness. In this program premiere, Charlie explores concepts most relevant to our lives, fusing wisdom from his background in business, academics, and spirituality, and explains the core principles of greatness, success, and happiness. Unlocking Greatness with Charlie Harari at 9 o'clock. At 9.30, spin class with Michael Fragan. He will feature a recap of New York Primary Day, winners and losers, and he'll discuss the battle over BDS, uh, which has become a major issue in New York City, in the City Council, and many other areas as well. At 10 a.m., Jew in the City Speaks. Allison Joseph interviews Rabbi Yaakov Horowitz, founder and dean of Yeshiva Darche Noam of Muncie and founder and director of Project Yes. That's at 10 o'clock. At 10.30, That's Life with Miriam L. Wallach. We'll feature her discussion with Schiffer Klein, exploring the full Yom Tov 2016 issue of Joy of Kosher magazine. That comes up at 10.30, live from New York. And 11 a.m., the Thursday live lunch with great music and more. We'll try to give away some tickets to the uh, to the MCU Park um, World Baseball Classic next Thursday and much, much more on a uh, live lunch coming up at 11 a.m., then Throwback Thursday 
and the rest of our incredible schedule. By the way, speaking of the World Baseball Classic, keep in mind that on Tuesday, September the 20th, beginning at 8 p.m. at Congregation Beth Aaron, there will be a World Baseball Classic hype-up event uh, with speakers including Nate Fish, a Team Israel coach, Margot Sugarman, IAB Secretary General, and a player from Team Israel. So um, everybody in the Bergen County area and beyond, keep in mind, Tuesday night, 8 p.m., this coming Tuesday night at Beth Aaron in Teaneck, a uh, World Baseball Classic hype-up event with team members and more in... Um, which would be a great event in advance of Thursday night's game against Great Britain. So there you have it. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 in the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmtheam.org, and of course on the NSN app.
Eitan Katz, Ms. Marla Dovid off of the Shuvu collection here on a JMDM Thursday morning. Reminder, tomorrow Malcolm Holmline joins us. It'll be the weekly update at 7.40 tomorrow morning Eastern Time. Make sure to be tuned in on your radio or on the NSN app from anywhere around the world. We'll have the latest on events and news items that concern Israel and the Jewish world. Weekly update tomorrow morning, 7.40 Eastern Time here at JM. In the AM Thursday morning broadcast, big day on our stream all day long at jmtheam.org and on the NSN app. A lot of great shows, uh, wonderful brand new material. We'll go through the lineup again a little later on in this program. Uh, Governor Christie here in the state of New Jersey signed into law a piece of legislation that had been in the works for a long time, providing security funding for non-public school students. That, of course, includes day schools and yeshivas, and this happens on an annual basis. Uh, with us live via telephone, Josh Brzezanski, New Jersey, New Jersey Regional Director of Public Policy for the OU, and Sam Moed, a community leader who has been working, one of the people working on this for quite a while. Gentlemen, welcome both of you to JM in the AM. Thank you, Nachum. Good morning, Nachum. Sam, explain how this got done. How did, uh, in fact, leadership like yourself and others in our community start this process and get to the point where Governor Christie signed this into law? Sure. So just to take a step back, 
the uh, the issue of uh, day school affordability and trying to help parents cope with the financial burden is a, is a critical priority for our community. And there are multiple ways that this issue is being tackled. One of them is to try to access greater state funding for non-public schools uh, for things that clearly those schools qualify for, nursing, healthcare, technology, and one example being security, which we know is a significant cost, significant need and cost in our in our day schools. All of the day schools in New Jersey um, have joined as a consortium and created something called Teach NJS, which is partnered with the OU. And the idea is that we leverage the political advocacy and activism capabilities of the OU to help us to advocate in Trenton, in New Jersey, for greater state funding for areas like security. And that's been an effort that's been ongoing for about 18 months. And this year we put a very specific focus on security and specifically on the passage of this piece of legislation, which was now signed into law, that allocates $75 per student across all non-public schools, including all of the day school students, which is about 40000 in the state of New Jersey. And that brought about $3 million into the day school system to help to cover security costs. Is that a significant number, meaning is it going to have a great effect on our schools, or is it simply a symbolic gesture on behalf of the state legislature? So I think there's a lot of importance to having this legislation passed. Just to give a little bit of context, there are about 4,000 bills, pieces of legislation that get proposed in New Jersey. Less than 100 have been signed. Less than 10 of them actually have allocation of funding. This is one of them. So I think it is from a political point of view and a policy point of view, it's very, very meaningful. It is clearly from a financial point of view um, just the beginning of where we need to go in terms of making a much greater impact in accessing funding. And I think we can certainly be encouraged by the progress that's been made in neighboring states like New York, where the magnitude of the funding that's come from the state is much greater than it is currently in New Jersey, and clearly our goal is to increase substantially the amount of funding that, we, that we're able to access in New Jersey as well. Sam Moet and Josh Brzezanski with us live via telephone. Uh, Josh, from your angle, could this have been done if not for the united effort, if not for the uh, consortium that Sam spoke about, the schools getting together and the community really acting as one? You know, I'll quote a senior staffer to one of the, uh, one of the le- uh, leadership uh, heads of the state, I should say, who uh, spoke to me on Monday about this. He says, Josh, I want you to know, since this Teach NJS uh, initiative came to our attention, we have viewed the Jewish community in an entire different light. The fact that you were able to unite the community with the day schools, with the federations, with the OU, around an issue has made a tremendous impact on us. So we look at it not just as, okay, one organization coming to us asking for for funding or trying to increase funding for their, for their children. We look at it as a united community doing it, and it's made a tremendous difference. And this was unsolicited. I didn't even ask him about it. So the fact that he mentioned that to me, unsolicited, shows that Teach NJS has made a tremendous impression on the legislature and on the governor and his office.
Hmm, interesting. Uh, Sam, you mentioned healthcare, technology, other categories like that. Uh, wh- where's the next battle? Or if battle's the wrong word, where's the next effort going to be? Will it be more funding for security or will it uh, start to drift into the other areas that you mentioned? Yeah, I think it's important to understand that all of these efforts on the political front have a short game and a long game and that you need to be doing both, and we need to be doing both as a community effectively. So in the near term, we have four general areas of funding that we receive from the state, technology, nursing, textbooks, and security. We increase those every year. Uh, We're up to, right now, uh, about $250 per student. Um, We have a long way to go to be able to increase that uh, more substantially working in those four buckets. Those are existing areas of funding, and and that's the short game that we're going to work to increase across all of those. There are also significant longer-term things that we're working on that relate to the ability to have tax credits directed for, for educational costs, the ability to potentially have certain areas of education like STEM, where the state can contribute to those that have nothing to do with any religious instruction or education, so much like the effort that the OU has led in other states, we're working on both fronts. And, I mean, I guess we could explore this ourselves if we bring them in as guests, but I'm curious what the reaction has been among the executive directors of our schools. Have they felt the difference? Have they been able to, uh, uh, to in fact, uh, ease the, has their burden been eased a bit because of the, uh, uh, because of the progress in the security area? First of all, I'd, I would just underscore that this is a collaborative effort with the schools, with the lay leadership and the professional leadership of the schools and federations across the state. Um, The the schools help to support this effort, so they are vested in it. Um, They obviously believe in it, um, and they they expect a return on that investment, as we all do, and they've seen it thus far. So the schools... Uh, support the effort, appreciate the effort, but I think all understand that we have a lot of work ahead of us to make a more substantial difference in terms of the economics of the schools. They want the the return to become larger and larger. Uh, Josh, anybody specific aside from the governor who uh, deserves to be uh, recognized in this conversation? Absolutely. First of all, Assemblyman Gary Scher, who we all know so well, the uh, the state, uh, the assembly, I should say, a budget... uh, Chairman, who is also uh, the only Orthodox Jew in the state legislature, represents Passaic, amongst other towns, has been the uh, the one individual in the state house who has spearheaded this effort. He uh, he he has taken you know I, he, because of his community, he understands the importance of this, and he really has undertaken uh, to to make this a priority. Aside from him, you have the the uh, Assembly Speaker Vincent Prieto, who is a co-prime sponsor of this bill. You have Senator Sweeney. Uh, who is Senate President Sweeney, who uh, made sure that the, his uh, his House of the Legislature, uh, you know, made this uh, made passed it and uh, and made it happen, along with Senator Beach, who is the prime sponsor from and uh, from Cherry Hill, and Senator Gordon from Bergenfield. If you look at the names that I'm mentioning to you, each one of them represents a community where we have a significant population, and that is the essence of Teach NJS, getting the community, like Sam says, getting the community and its leadership involved. 
talking and, and working with their legislators, meeting with their legislators, explaining to the legislators the importance of this type of funding for their children has had a significant impact and it will only hopefully continue as long as we as long as we work together as a community, whether it's teach NGS, the 20 existing schools, there are schools that are out there that haven't yet joined, uh, who are reaping the benefits of this initiative. Hopefully they'll come on board and we'll have even a larger uh, segment of the community re- represented in the Teach NJS initiative. So when we go back to Trenton, we'll have even more legislators on board. And that's the way you build this, this consortium. Like Sam said, it has, it has grown significantly in a year and a half. We still have a lot more to do. Well, Governor Christie has signed into law a piece of legislation that provides security funding for uh, for non-public school students, including our very own day schools and yeshivas, on an annual basis. A very significant development as the brand new school year has begun, and our students and families and schools are reaping the benefits of this legislation. Uh, Josh Brzezanski is New Jersey Regional Director, Orthodox Union Advocacy Center. Josh, I thank you. And Sam Moed, representing the community leaders who have been at the forefront of this uh, incredible effort. Sam, I thank you as well. Thank you both for joining us this morning. Thank you. Thank you, Jonathan. Thursday morning broadcast. More coming up. You're listening to JM in the AM.
J.M. in the A.M. Uh, coming up, uh, that's uh, Benny Freeman, by the way. You may not need me. Lee Kesson before that here at J.M. in the A.M. Uh, Scott Feltman is with us live via telephone, Executive Vice President, One Israel Fund. Uh, many of you are aware of the fact that this coming Monday night on the 19th of September, the One Israel Fund dinner takes place at the Museum of Jewish Heritage on Battery Place in New York City. It honors Dr. Dove and Amy Snow. Ellie and Esther Arakanchi, and if I have that, if I have that pronounced in, incorrectly, Scott will tell me in a minute. Gavi and Tali Hoffman, they're all being recognized that night. Uh, it's going to be a very special evening. One Israel Fund really takes care of uh, greater Israel, and we'll explain that in a moment. And you, by being there and by supporting the cause, can help continue to build and secure the communities of greater Israel. It's a 22nd annual gala dinner. Information, just go to oneisraelfund.org, oneisraelfund.org. Uh, the phone number is 516-239-9202, 516-239-9202. As I said, the Executive Vice President of One Israel Fund is Scott Feltman with us live via telephone. Scott, welcome back to JM in the AM. Always a pleasure. How are you? Pronunciations were okay? No, perfect. Ah, I like that. Okay, I'm glad the Arakanchis then are being recognized properly. Well, it's and, a bi- it's and we'll be very happy. <laughs> <laughs> no question about it. It's a big night Monday night. We get an opportunity to really pay tribute to the communities of Yeshan, in addition to that, to really support them and help them grow. And as we always say, Scott, we're not asking anybody out there to go and uh, and, and be a new resident in any of those cities, although that would be great. All we're if, asking, they want, if they want to, they're more than welcome. Exactly. But all we're asking at this point is they come and support the cause. Correct. You could tell us, You could tell us just how many needs there are in the communities of Yesha, we concentrate on security, and that's obviously a very big category. But even outside that category, there are others as well. What would you say today are the issues that you want to address and that you want all the people Monday night to address? Well, the interesting thing is we're actually focusing this year's dinner on building in, uh, in Yehuda Vashomron. Right. Uh, we've always focused more on the security and emergency medical. Right. But this evening is going to pay tribute to a lot of the building projects because that's really what falls by the wayside every time there's a, you know, a, there's a terror attack. Right. Uh, we forget about the basic needs of building playgrounds. And this year we're actually taking on a flagship project, which is to build a brand-new medical center in the Binyamin region. Wow. Which people don't realize is the largest regional council in the entire country. There's 65,000 residents living in Binyamin in communities like Bethel and Shiloh and Psagot, and there's no medical facilities at all in this entire region. Mm. And tragically, uh, our guest speaker this year uh, is a woman, Sarah Rosenfeld, who tragically lost her son last June, uh, almost entirely because there was no medical facility to treat her son when he was in a terrorist attack, uh, and ended up taking over an hour to get to one of the Jerusalem hospitals. Oh, gosh. So that's Uh, a huge project that we're undertaking. In addition to all of the small things that we do on a regular basis, we're building right now two synagogues, one in the Jordan Valley, one in the Shomron, uh, we're building a mikveh in Binyamin. We're building playgrounds all the time. I mean, there's always constant needs, just like we would have here, you know, in any community here. The basic needs that a community has to function is what we're trying to do over there. The medical facility, medical center, uh, that, that is a project of, of, of how much? How much money is needed? It's for going to take between 7 and $8 million to complete the project. Uh, it's being done in stages so that the emergency trauma center will be done first. And then from there, it, it expands. Um, we successfully built one in Efrat a number of years ago. Uh, we right. were, a help, uh, again, a helping component. Uh, this one is really more on One Israel Fund to take care of. And then 
God willing, after that, we're starting to look into the actual Shomron region uh, to be able to do something similar up there. Well, it's you know, it's fascinating, or or better yet, it's uh, it's so appropriate that one Israel Fund takes on this project because we love the fact that you're involved in so many individual communities and doing so much for so many of them. But when you're able to do something for the region, able to do something you know collectively for so many communities, it'll affect so many tens of thousands of people. It makes the project even more special. I mean, there's 150 communities, there's over 400,000 residents. We can't possibly take care of every single community each year. So by finding projects that really have a tremendous impact, not only for the region, but even beyond, uh, the, the funny, there was a funny story in Efrat where a woman from Haifa was calling up because the specialist happened to have had available hours in Efrat and didn't have hours for months uh, to months to follow in Jerusalem. So he had told her to come to uh, to her the, the facility of Rat to visit. So she was kind of shocked that she was being told to go to what she, you know, viewed as one of the shtachim, right? In order to get taken care of by this uh, renowned specialist. Well, you so never know, huh? You never know. We're, we're looking for projects that really impact the whole country. It's a way to do it. Well, we are building forever, is what When Israel Fund says on their announcement for the Monday night dinner. It's happening starting at 6.30 p.m. at the Museum of Jewish Heritage. It's coming Monday night on Battery Place. A word about the honorees, Dr. Dove and Amy Snow, Ellie and Esther Arakanchi, Gavi and uh, Tali Hoffman. Obviously, uh, without even knowing them, I'm assuming they are people who are very dedicated to the land and the state of Israel. Well, Dove, uh, as, as most of our supporters know, actually worked for us the past two years and really revitalize our young professional division. Um, started programs uh, around the country. We have about a thousand new uh, new supporters under the age of 35. So we're very excited. Uh, we're, we're sad because he's now moved on to uh, to a new position uh, in in the Midwest. But we're recognizing him for those efforts. Mm. Um, and the other two honorees, oddly enough, got involved through those projects. So Ellie and uh, Ellie and Esther Arakanchi joined our committee last year for our uh, New York Casino Night um, and slowly but surely got overly involved where Esther actually was able to take a trip to Israel and spend four days going around with One Israel Fund this past January. Uh, and Gavi and Tali Hoffman, who are from West Hempstead, uh, equally got involved in that event and some other local events um, and have really you know, put a new energy into the organization with this new demographic that we've been so successful reaching out to. Very nice. Boy, oh boy, a lot of great people out there who want to help. I want to help build Israel. Uh, dinner is co-chaired by Ken and Nira Abramowitz, Martin Rothman, and Renee Serlin. Uh, main event, Muzzone Caterers. You know, it's going to be delicious, and we are looking forward to being there on Monday night and participating. It's at the Museum of Jewish Heritage, the One Israel Fund Dinner. The annual gala starts at 6.30 p.m. this coming Monday night. You're all invited. Information at 516-239-9202. Again, that's 516-239-9202. You can take care of the whole reservation, etc. online. Go to oneisraelfund.org, oneisraelfund.org, and participate. And I'm sure that Monday night you'll have plenty of more details about the Medical Center Project and all the specific ones that you've already announced to the public. Absolutely, and obviously you, uh, you're a, a big on of and forgot one major key component to the uh, dinner. Uh, we are honored that you will be serving as our Master of Ceremonies, and we're looking forward to that as well. well. I greatly appreciate that. It is an amazing cause, and we get to build Israel forever and together from thousands of miles away. Whoever thought we could do that, huh? Amazing. Pretty amazing is right. Amazing. Scott Feltman is the Executive Vice President of the One Israel Fund. Reserve Monday night, everybody. Uh, at the Museum of Jewish Heritage downtown. It's going to be quite an evening. 516-239-9202. And, of course, the web, 
oneisraelfund.org, oneisraelfund.org. Scott, thanks so much. Continued success. Nachem, it's always a pleasure. Thanks so much for all your help. 20 minutes before 9 o'clock, you're listening to JM in the AM. Been a lot of places. I've been all around the world. Seen a lot of faces. Never know where I was on the horizon. Ooh, well, I know, I know, I know, I know. So I'll be rising back home. No, we won't forget where we came from. The city won't change us. We beat to the same drum. No, we won't forget where we came from. The city won't change us. We beat to the same drum. Don't forget where you belong.
Usher, Sharf, and Sons. Before that, the Maccabees with Home. Don't forget, we have an amazing day on our stream all day long at jmnam.org and on the NSN app. And you can comment. A lot of great comments this morning, by the way, on the NSN app. And I thank everybody who chimes in from around the world. Uh, our conversations this morning certainly uh, inspired a lot of people, or at least got them to react. I should put it that way. Uh, after Jam in the AM, just a few minutes from now, it's Unlocking Greatness. Charlie Harari with the program premiere of Unlocking Greatness, exploring concept most relevant to our lives, fusing wisdom from his background in business, academics, and spirituality. That goes from 9 o'clock until 9.30 with Charlie Harari. At 9.30, spin class with Michael Fragan, a recap of the New York primary day winners and losers, plus the battle over BDS in the New York City Council and other places, and much, much more. Michael Fragan, brand new with spin class at 9.30. 10 a.m. for Jew in the City Speaks. Allison Joseph will feature an interview with Rabbi Yaakov Horowitz, Dean of Yeshiva Darche Noam of Muncie and founder of Project Yes. 10.30 this morning, Miriam L. Wallach will feature a live conversation with Shifra Klein, exploring the full Yom Tov 2016 issue of Joy of Kosher magazine. Thursday live lunch at 11, throwback Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, and of course a full day on the stream at jmnam.org. And on the NSN app. Ten minutes before nine o'clock, it's JM in the AM as we continue. This comes from Mordechai Shapiro. Gitano bisimcho, Yigagalu loi, das Oh, 
Yeah, you're my favorite. 
Brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners-sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 in the FM Dial Broadcasting Live in the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmtheam.org, and of course on the NSN app. Wraps up a Thursday for us here at JMNAM. An amazing lineup of programming follows next at jmnam.org, including Charlie Harari, who is next. Uh, on the uh, stream and on the NSN app, make sure to be tuned in. I will speak with you during the live lunch, starting at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. And uh, tomorrow, our weekly update. Malcolm Holine will join us 7.40 tomorrow morning right here at JMA. Make sure to be tuned in. Have a fabulous Thursday. Till tomorrow, Malcolm Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.